Welcome to your Canadians Connection on Rocket Sports Radio. This premier hockey podcast featured on allhabs.net brings you the latest news, in-depth analysis, and expert commentary about the NHL's most storied franchise, the Montreal Canadiens, with your hosts, Joe Whalen and Rick Stevens. Our team of credentialed journalists provides behind-the-scenes insight on the Canadians, designed to inform, entertain, and engage Habs fans around the globe. We are proud to be the trusted source for all things Habs for more than a decade. This is the Canadians Connection Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio, keeping you informed, engaged, and entertained. My name is Joseph Whalen. I'm going to be your host for the next hour, and this is episode 98 of the Canadians Connection podcast, the post-playoff run edition. Uh, I'm pleased to be joined in studio by the founder, the editor-in-chief of Rocket Sports Media, Mr. Rick Stevens. How are you doing on this fine day, Rick? Good afternoon, sir. Um, I'm doing great, and uh, we had a great. I, I, I learned so much in the in the pre-show uh, about <laughs> Newfoundland culture, and uh, we we keep we keep threatening to to air some of these pre uh, pre-show conversations because they're pretty good. Yeah, there's some good stuff in there, and yeah. So today uh, I was I was going through some of the uh, famous Newfoundland quotes uh, for Rick, and one of them. The one that I always have a laugh at, uh, and that's a little bit of a Newfoundland quote as well, have a laugh. Um, <laughs> but uh, the one that I love the most, I think, is grand day on clothes. And by the way, today in Newfoundland is a grand day on clothes. And that is something that you would say when it's a lovely day outside, you can hang your clothes out on the clothesline nice. and there's a nice breeze, a nice summer's day, a nice breeze going through. And uh, that was that's one of my favorite ones. But there are some some really great ones. Stay your at till I comes where you're too. You were saying that one. <laughs> yeah, that, that one was favorite. one that you're familiar with. <laughs> yeah. Well, with the St. John's ice caps and and uh, certainly had interaction with the broadcasting crew and with the uh, tr- uh, trainers and equipment people and so there was uh yeah they they uh they gave me a first introduction to to some of those phrases yeah and uh yeah newfoundlanders certainly they have a turn of phrase about them and uh (laughs) (laughs) we certainly have our own that's why i always say uh, uh when i was we were talking about gerard gallant a couple of weeks ago being a being somebody that lives in Atlantic Canada, you know, you speak Atlantic Canada and you speak English, and uh, <laughs> but for Newfoundland, there's a certainly a just seems like there's an entire language uh, that we speak that is uh, separate from all of it. But Rick, um, <laughs> with that said, uh, this is going to be quite the show today, and uh, we we took some time because yesterday there was some news that was going to be coming out. Mark Bergevin speaking to the media, so we we took a little bit extra time to take all that in and have Mm -hmm. it here today for you on this podcast. Um, So we have the reaction to the series against the Philadelphia Flyers. We'll be recapping those games in just a couple of moments. But yes, we will be getting to uh, Mark Bergevin speaking to the media. Of course, the fallout of game five, we will be getting to a little bit later on in this segment. And that was when this series, if you thought, I mean, listen, game three and game four, as I'll be talking about in a few moments, a little bit, a little bit dull. Game five, that was playoff hockey, and we're going to be getting to that and all the stories that followed game five. But, uh, Rick, yes, we'll get started 
with a little bit of a brief recap of what happened since we last spoke. And uh, if you remember back to last week, Montreal was riding high after a Game 2 victory, a big Game 2 victory, winning 5 nothing. Uh, and so Game 3 sort of shifted a little bit. And uh, Jakub Voracek opened the scoring just over five minutes into the action with a deflection goal. No chance for Carey Price. That was all the scoring that was required in that game. Mm. Philadelphia clogged the shooting lanes, making life easy for Carter Hart and very difficult for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Montreal got some chances early, hit a handful of posts. Jesperi Kotkaniemi hit two himself. Um, But as the game went on, the Montreal Canadiens threatened less and less, and it became uh, a pretty easy victory for the Philadelphia Flyers in the end. They grinded that one out, and the Montreal Canadiens just never really looked comfortable. Uh, And the the Philadelphia Flyers took a 2-1 series lead. Game four brought more of the same. Um, Michael Raffle scored just over six minutes in to once again give the Flyers an early lead. Philip Myers doubled doubled the advantage in the second period. And the snake-bitten Canadiens offense was held off the score sheet for the second straight game. Carter Hart with 29 saves in the shutout. A little bit of a busier night uh, than than Game 3, which he only had 23 saves. And the Philadelphia Flyers actually blocked a lot of shots in Game 3. But Game 4, just a little bit busier for Carter Hart. Game 5 is where this gets real interesting for uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, Yoel Armia got Montreal off to a great start just before the three-minute mark of the first with a shorthanded goal, a dump in by Xavier Ouellette, took a bounce, and there was Yoel Armia to uh, chip that one in and, and give the Montreal Canadiens a one-goal lead. Um, so following a Jesperi Kotkaniemi boarding major that we will discuss in greater detail, mm-hmm. the Philadelphia Flyers scored two power play goals courtesy of Jakub Voracek. Uh, Montreal did not fold, though. Armia scored his second of the game. Gallagher restored the Habs lead on the power play. And by the way, we will be talking about Brendan Gallagher a little bit later as well. (laughs) Joel Farabee tied it up again on the power play. But 22 seconds later, Nick Suzuki scored to put the Habs on top. Deneau added the empty netter, which was followed by some nastiness. Sean Couturier uh, hit Arturi Lekkinen as he was celebrating uh, with his teammates or about to go celebrate with his teammates. And uh, it seemed as though there was some rivalry Start a rivalry starting to bud a little bit here in this series. Um, game six, Ivan Provorov won the who can score the earliest goal contest, scoring 28 seconds in. Kevin Hayes doubled the lead five minutes later. Nick Suzuki, another goal from Nick Suzuki, cutting the lead in half on the power play. Michael Raffle scored to start the second. But then Nick Suzuki responded again to make the score 3-2, entering the all-important third period. But as they did effectively in games three and four, the Flyers shut things down in the third period, uh, winning the game and the series in the process. Uh, so, Rick, I will. Uh, there's some congratulations in order here. You said Flyers in six, and it was Flyers in six. Flyers in six, <laughs> I did, and uh, actually did, uh, and we'll be uh, going over uh, our predictions. Um, Amy Johnson and I on the press zone uh, made our predictions, and I did pretty well in the first yeah. round. Uh, pretty, pretty well. Um, but uh, I, I take no, I take no joy in that. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I wasn't anxious to see the the Canadians exit, but um, uh, just felt that the the Flyers were going to yeah. be the stronger team. And, and and at points, it was very much the case that the Flyers were the stronger team, specifically games three and four, where they just it was a grind, and they made it that way. And you know, I, I saw some people that were wondering why Montreal wasn't 
getting to their speed game that you saw really effectively in game two. And that was because the Philadelphia Flyers weren't allowing it to be a factor anymore. Mm -hmm. They said, this is not going to happen. We are going to be the more physical team. And they were, and that's how it happened. But uh, Rick, as we said, game five was where this all really tipped off because games one and two was, it was a bit of a feeling out process. You could kind of see where they were kind of going back and forth. Game two obviously ended in, in Montreal's favor with that 5-0 win. But games three and four, they were sort of the, you know, you kind of thought that it might just be this trap series, not many scoring chances either way, and it would be a low-scoring series. But game five is where everything turned, and you saw the nastiness come out in the playoff hockey, and two incidents in particular. You had Yasperi Kotkaniemi receiving the five-minute major and a game misconduct for a boarding penalty on Travis Sanheim. And later on in the game, you had Brendan Gallagher take a cross-check to the jaw from Matt Niskanen. And that's when things went a little bit crazy. <laughs> Indeed. Um, yeah, you had uh, you listened to the national broadcasts and, and commentators uh, around, and, and uh, you heard... Um, you know, lots of comments from people saying that uh, uh, hockey people saying they were glad uh, to be paid for watching that game, those games, the Canadians, the Flyers, because otherwise uh, there was no interest. The The most boring series um, and certainly games three and four were, you know, carbon copy or cut and paste uh, versions of each other uh, and, and really painful to watch. That game five, though, uh, one of the things that uh, Kirk Muller has uh, brought, and we saw it in in game two, was was um, an injection of emotion and an injection of intensity uh, and passion within his lineup, and and certainly we saw that uh, in game five. And um, uh, you know, I I I've I've looked at that uh, yes, Barry Kotkaniemi hit on Travis Sanheim a million times. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, it, was it worth a penalty? Sure it was. Was it worth a major? I just don't see it. Um, I just don't see it. Um, but uh, it wasn't as if it was a split-second reaction call by the uh, referees. They, um, uh, the officials, they consulted. Uh, they, um, uh, you know, spoke with the, the uh, Philly bench to see how badly uh, Sanheim was injured. And they made the call to eject Kotkaniemi, um, and, and it didn't uh, didn't calm down after that. If that's uh, what their intention was, and and for Canadians fans, um, I'll only um, mention that uh, Chris Lee was uh, played a prominent role. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and if you were following along on Twitter, you knew very well that Chris Lee played a role in that. Um, but yeah, just to, to follow up on that, because it was it reminded me because I remember earlier in the season, the Montreal Canadiens were playing Victor Mete on his wrong side. They were playing him on the on the right side and he was doing a lot of the time he was shooting the puck in and something similar would happen and he would just evade getting injured. But I was like, get him off of his wrong side, mm -hmm. get him off back to the left side, because he's putting himself in those positions where someone's going to come and finish that check and it won't be a pretty picture. And I agree with what you just said, and unfortunately for Travis Sanheim, he put himself in that vulnerable position. He now, did. obviously, listen, I know that in that spot, Jesperi Kotkaniemi is supposed to hold back and supposed to ease up, but Travis Sanheim's a moving target, and the shoulder was available to hit, 
before when Kotkaniemi made up his mind. Then when he followed through on that shot, his entire body moved towards the boards. Kotkaniemi at that point had he, he he couldn't hold up. He couldn't hold back. That was that was he was heading in to finish a check, and he got ejected for it. Now. Uh, Arpin Basu and, and Elliot Friedman on the broadcast also mentioned once it's determined that it's a major penalty and there is an injury to the face or the head, it has to be a game misconduct. Game misconduct yeah. But you just said, is it worthy of a major penalty? No. In the playoffs, I don't think that's worthy of a major penalty. In fact, I think that we've seen and it's I always hate when people play this game because it's it's relative. You know, it's all sort of relative and, and saying that, well, we've seen a lot worse than that. You know, it, it's unfortunately, I think that that's sometimes a dangerous game to play and it leaves you with, uh, you know, sort of uh, comparing one thing to another. And, and sometimes it's just really no comparison. But I, I just don't think that that's a major penalty and I don't think it's a major penalty in the playoffs. Um, and Travis Sanheim, yeah. just to add, uh, didn't miss any time. Um, no, nope. n- not at all. And and let's also add that that gift, that that five minute power play, uh, gifted the Philadelphia Flyers two power play goals. It woke up their plow- power play. Uh, it yep. it uh, turned the game at that point. Uh, it, it was it was um uh, the 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 officiating had a direct impact on that game. And Jesperi Kakaniemi had been the most effective mm-hmm. forward for the Montreal Canadiens over the course of the series. And I, I, I have to imagine if that's on the other foot, and if it's Sean Couturier finishing his check on Victor Meta along the boards. Sean Couturier is not getting tossed from that game. It's, it's just not, it's not, it's not happening. But later on in the game, so Montreal Canadiens, keep in mind, so that that's in their head, Jesperi Kotkaniemi getting tossed for the game because there was an injury to the face or head of Travis Sanheim. It was ruled a, mis- a, a major penalty, and because there was an injury to the face or head, it's a game misconduct. So later on in the game, Brendan Gallagher battling along the boards, as Brendan Gallagher is one to do, um, and Matt Niskanen, comes in with his stick elevated and uh, follows through with a cross check to the jaw, to the facial area of Brendan Gallagher, who is immediately bleeding and heads to the bench where you see that, uh, yeah, there is not something, there's something going on in the mouth of Brendan Gallagher that is, that is not very pretty and uh, no penalty on that play. And uh, Montreal Canadiens fans uh, went a little bit, uh, a little bit crazy on Twitter after that. Deservedly, <laughs> seeing seeing um, uh, a, a tough forward like uh, Gallagher, um, his mouth full of blood, his lips crimson, looking like Dracula, um, yelling from the bench. Um, it was it was a surreal kind of scene, and um, it was, uh, you know, no, nothing, nothing was called on the play, and. Um, I, I don't know. It was, uh, Canadians fans were, were incensed. Um, and then to go on to, um, and, and maybe, uh, one of the, the worst plays in, in my opinion, the blindside hit from Sean Couturier on yep. Arturi Lekkanen. Yeah. I mean, and this, that really, it sent, it set the tone for what game six was going to be. And ultimately, I don't know if there was much of a follow through on what happened in game five, but there was some back and forth in the media, specifically Elaine Vigneault, who was questioning the severity of Gallagher's injury. He backed up his player, as you might expect him to do, and said, well, you know what, Gallagher's a little bit shorter, so, you know, you have to think about that as well. Um, I'm not quite sure what that has to do with it, but uh, regardless, Vigneault says this, questioning the severity of Gallagher's injury. 
Um, and the Montreal Canadiens, uh, they posted the video of the incident up close and in slow-mo from their official Twitter account, um, providing an angle of it that wasn't necessarily available from the broadcast angle. You didn't really see that. Um, but yeah, it seemed as though they were they were posturing a little bit, trying to get the NHL to uh, suspend Matt Niskanen, and eventually uh, that did happen. Um, but uh, the Montreal Canadiens would be without the services of Brendan Gallagher. Yeah, now uh, that's that's where I'm going to um, uh, part with the Canadians on on uh, this. That was that I I, I didn't. They they posted that video that was uh that was an angle that only the Canadians had. It was taken from the corner um, from their social media team, uh, and they slowed it down at impact. Um, send that to the to the uh, the NHL, which they did. That's that's entirely. I'm on board with that. Posting that in the morning, um, I I that that. Uh, I'm not. I wasn't on board with that. That seemed a little bit odd, and um, it was uh, Justin Bourne um, from Sport Sportsnet. Sportsnet, yeah, yeah. Sportsnet. Um, he tweeted uh, the actual play aside. I wonder how the fe- the league feels about a team account sl- showing a slow mo video of the most incriminating angle of a borderline suspendable play before they've ruled on it. All but ca- campaigning for a suspension. Um, send it again, send it to the league for sure. Uh, now, um, uh, trying to get public support. Um, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm less, uh, and, and the other part of that is their, uh, senior vice president of communications retweeted that and said in both English and French, judge it for yourselves. That seemed a bit yeah. odd. Um, now listen, later on, um, uh, you know, there was a whole flyers contingent that was mad that the Canadians revealed the extent of Gallagher's injury. Uh, they said, uh, you know, that they were trying to influ- influence, uh, the suspension there. No, um, the, the Canadians would have communicated that, you know, how these things work each uh, each side kind of gets to present their case. There's there's a, a telephone call, um, and uh, and certainly uh, the player involved, um, uh, Matt Niskanen was uh, was interviewed. Uh, but saying that that uh, Gallagher releasing that publicly that he had a, a broken jaw that there was nothing wrong with that because that information had already become communicated to the NHL. Yeah, and it's it's something that happened and. It's yeah, the, the 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 camera angle that they provided and the fact that they, they shared that on social media. I mean, it's I mean, I, I don't know what the NHL thinks of that as Justin Bourne posed that question. But is that maybe something that's going to become more of the norm in the social media era in the social media age that you're going to see a lot of more of things like that? I mean, I don't know if if other teams would do that. But uh, Montreal, I mean, I think in in the heat of battle and given the fact that Elaine Vigneault did not concede or back off the Mm-mm. points that he was making in his press conferences. I mean, listen, all is all is fair, right? You you do whatever you can to to take the uh, take the edge. And if the Montreal Canadiens were going to be without Brendan Gallagher, try to campaign to get Matt Niskanen off the ice. I think do what you got to do. But yes, as I said, Elaine Vigneault questioning the severity of Brendan Gallagher's injury. Um, 
And uh, it was it was quite something because I was reminded immediately after it happened of uh, and Elaine Vigneault was uh, referencing some comments made by Brendan Gallagher six years ago, allegedly is what people have been bringing up that the Stepan uh, jaw injury from years ago. And Brendan Gallagher said, well, he was talking the entire time. I don't think his jaw was bothering him too much. Uh, but Elaine Vigneault said the same thing about Brendan Gallagher, that he was drawing with the officials, talking with the bench. And the one thing I'll say to that is, I mean, maybe Brendan Gallagher is familiar with the feeling of getting cross-checked in the jaw because it happened earlier this season when Zidane Chara did it mm -hmm. to Brendan Gallagher back in February. <laughs> so, listen, I mean, whatever Elaine Vigneault, Elaine Vigneault is going to say whatever it is that, you know, to protect his player, I understand that. But, uh, yeah, it was... I don't know if it was in line for him to sort of question the severity. And speaking of February, I think it was February that Matt Niskanen uh, had a fine for a similar incident. Uh, so he he is a repeat offender as far as the NHL uh, Department of Player Safety concerns with respect to supplementary discipline. Uh, so for me, that would have dictated that... Uh, uh, it would have been, well, I, th I thought it was more than a, a, a one-game suspension uh, anyway, but add to the fact that uh, he's been um, uh, fined in the same year, I figured that uh, he would get the rest of the series. As it turned out, it was, it, it, it was the rest of the series, but, um, but given the severity of the injury, given that he was a repeat offender, I'd expect, I had expected it to be a, a more stiff suspension. Yeah. Um, and and maybe, listen, maybe the NHL Department of Player Safety was saying, well, we'll give him game six and then game seven. If it happens, he has to deal with whoever's on the ice for the Montreal Canadiens mm. coming after him. So maybe they thought maybe thought it balanced itself out in some way. But uh, anyways, uh, so as we were saying, uh, they were commenting, uh, Elaine Vigneault was commenting on Brendan Gallagher and pregame game six. You also got comments. Uh, from Mark Bergevin on Brennan Gallagher and uh, and what he was going to be uh, that the Montreal Canadiens were essentially going to be without the services of Brennan Gallagher going forward. And this has turned into um, uh, probably our our listeners' favorite recurring uh, yeah. feature, uh, and that is uh, they said what. Um, and uh, we have a few clips uh, starting with uh, pregame comments from both Mark Bergevin and Elaine Vigneault about uh, Brendan Gallagher. We'll start with Renaud Lavoie, TVA. Salut, Marc. Um, let me just, let me just uh, intro this, because we're going to hear a bit of French from Renaud Lavoie. This is part of the gamesmanship, uh, because Marc Bergevin did not make a statement. He accepted questions, but the question from a friendly reporter was staged. It was set up. And well, how do I know that? Because Renaud Lavoie, at the end of this, said, could you repeat your answer, please, for our Anglophone colleagues? That's never done. He's yeah. never done that. <laughs> Merci uh, d'être disponible pour nous aujourd'hui. Uh, petite question pour toi. Qu'est-ce que tu penses des commentaires d'Alain Vigneault sur Brandon Gallagher? What do you think of Alain Vigneault's comments? Si tu veux, uh, par la suite, donner ta réponse en anglais pour mes uh, collègues anglophones. Merci, Marc. Uh, okay. In English, well, I'm, I'm, I was expecting more, and I'm extremely disappointed that uh, AV would make a comment about a player's injuries without knowing uh, the extent of it. Brandon Gallagher will be missing a extended period of time and uh, will be eating his meal out of a straw. And I don't, I don't uh, wish that on any, anybody, and that include the Flyers players. It's a, it's a battle out there, and uh, we don't want people to get hurt like that. Disappointment, and then the flamethrower arrives. I don't like to see uh, any players 
uh, get injured. Uh, there's no doubt. But at the end of the day, I can only state the facts. And the fact was that uh, Gallagher got up and, you know, his uh, mouth didn't sh shut up for, you know, at least five minutes to the, to the referees, the linesmen, and to our bench for n nearly five minutes. So he didn't look like uh, he was hurt other than uh, obviously he looked like he had a cut. Uh, I believe that if, uh, you know, if the Montreal medical personnel thought that it was something real serious, they would have probably taken him off and brought him inside. So uh, I can only state the facts and state what I was watching. And what I was watching was a guy that just kept on talking. So he didn't seem like he was uh, hurt. Wow. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and that added, yeah, so that was fuel to the fire in this series. That was, I think, all that needed to be said. And, uh, you know, in the playoffs, you often have guys that become heroes and villains, and Alain Vigneault, Alain Vigneault was uh, content to be a villain in this series for, uh, for Canadians fans. Now, um, you saw how the Canadians were playing this. Their message in, in uh, they had a consistent message through their social media, through uh, Mark Bergevin, uh, keep in mind, this is the pregame of Game 6, so typically coaches speak. Um, Mark Bergevin said, hold on, Kirk, I'll look after this. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and went out, and, and, you know, he wanted the message in both French and English uh, and expressed his disappointment in uh, Elaine Vigneault. Um, and... Uh, uh, you know, Vino was having none of it. Um, he came back and hard. Remember, um, in in Kirk Mullard's very first uh, playoff victory as a head coach, it was Elaine Vino that went right after Kirk Muller. Uh, and in this in this clip, he went right after the 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 player that was hurt with a broken jaw, and he went after the Canadians' medical staff. Um, that. And uh, then went on to um, make the, the, the Derek Stepan uh, uh, comparison. And he used uh, uh, um, the name in French. Um, and so there was no confusion that that's what he was referring yeah. to. Um, he went strong and hard. So for me, the Canadians were trying to uh, send a message to their fans um, and, and even, um, you know, uh, setting up an excuse in case they lost AV in each case, he was going after not the fans, but the players, um, to strip, um, uh, Kirk Muller in, in game two of, of that enjoyment. That was to incense the Canadians players to go, uh, to go after Brandon Gallagher, to uh, go after the medical staff that, was to rile up the Canadians players to make them take a bad penalty in game six. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's all about gamesmanship in the playoffs. And, and, and like we said, you know, they were all look, each team was looking for the edge and uh, yeah, that was certainly uh, the case with Elaine Vigneault and he went at it in the media and he used that as a way to uh, get after the Montreal Canadians and, 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 you know, indirectly uh, make their fans a little bit upset from what they were hearing. But uh, one thing that the Montreal Canadiens fans have is is hope at this point because the Montreal Canadiens, they, they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins in the qualification round. They get to the playoffs and they put up a battle against the Philadelphia Flyers, keep it to a tight, you know, a tight six-game series, a couple goals if they were able to, 
You know, he had some posts in game three. If they get a couple of bounces, go their way. Who knows what this series turns into? But you have Shea Weber at this point, and and Shea Weber being the captain of this team, speaking to the media after game six, after the loss uh, in the series, uh, he talked about how, you know, like everyone doubted the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, they it taught some of their younger players what is required and taught them what's required. I think everybody doubted us out as soon as they announced what the, the playoff format would be. Everyone kind of just axed us off like we weren't going to be here, and I think that everybody showed up. They put in the effort this, uh, this summer kind of... Um, shortened summer here and everybody showed up and uh, same goal in mind and I think it, it just shows that maybe we're closer than people think I think everyone those guys should be proud of themselves in here uh, with their guys you know a lot of guys had to, to leave their families and just make sacrifices just like everybody in here and, and guys are committed and, and definitely proud of all of them uh, this kind of experience is invaluable to, to tell you the truth I mean uh, it was probably a, a good thing maybe come the first little qualifying round there the guys with no uh, no playoff experience they just don't know any better and I think the, the further you get into something and you realize different situations and you know get into momentum swings of series momentum swings of games I think it's a, a huge thing for these young guys to to be a part of and um, you know now they can be use that in their confidence going forward and, and show up to camp knowing what to expect and knowing how much uh, you know higher you got to raise your game and elevate your game to, to get in the playoffs and then to win in the playoffs and that so was yeah yeah that was um, I, th- I think I, for sure uh, everyone doubted the Canadians and and um, where they came in and 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 of course uh, they weren't supposed to they had no business being in the the play in they had no business getting past the Penguins to be in the playoffs um, and and so there was a lot of doubt and um, but I think the more important point there is uh, that it it taught uh, players particularly the younger ones that. The how much uh, they have to raise their their uh, effort level, how much uh, consistency is required uh, in order to um, win a game and move on. Yeah, and the one thing that is clear when you're playing in the playoffs, and I mean, I've, I mean, even the course of a regular season, is you have to respond to adversity. So you have the captain of the Montreal Canadiens talking about the lessons that you might have learned following these these series against the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Philadelphia Flyers, a couple of battle-tested teams. You had the franchise goaltender talking about how you respond to adversity and how the team responded to adversity in this run. Uh, I thought we responded to adversity every time that it came across our path. We never quit the entire time. It's uh, very good qualities in a, in a young hockey team. And we, we know during the season that uh, the Canadians would, would score and uh, a few seconds later, uh, the opposition would score and the Canadians would be sunk. Yeah. Um, how many times did that happen? Um, what was impressive here is uh, whether it was was that kind of situation uh, where they, there would be a goal against, that there was no letdown, or even the, the challenges of, of losing a head coach, uh, losing a, a feisty, tenacious uh, veteran. Uh, the, the Canadians uh, were very resilient throughout uh, the postseason. Yeah, and that was something, I mean, listen, you, you take that, um, and I mean, you talked about the fact that the Montreal Canadiens uh, were having trouble in the regular season with, you know, coming back from being scored on or, or whatever it might be. 
the fact that they also, I mean, I think in game five, when Jesperi cut Kanyemi got thrown out, and I was talking about how I thought he was the most effective forward, well, I was like, well, there's the two goals that the Philadelphia Flyers needed to win this game. And here comes Nick Suzuki, and the, and, and the Montreal Canadiens managed to get themselves back in the game. Yoel Armia, uh, you know, Brendan Gallagher. Uh, it, to me, that says a lot about this group. But speaking of young players, though, uh, Carter Hart on the opposite end for the Philadelphia Flyers. He's somebody that obviously uh, took a little bit of experience from this as well. And, of course, we talked about the relationship between him and uh, Carey Price, the fact that Carter Hart looked up to Carey Price, modeled a lot of his game after him. And, you know, the handshake line is a little bit sometimes, and, and especially in this series, after Derek Grant did the pat on the head of Nick Suzuki, uh, the players <laughs> were a little bit testy, but you often see a really nice moment between the, the goaltenders, the fraternity of goaltenders, you know, in this league. They often do have some really nice moments, and we saw one uh, in in the handshake line after Game Six. And Carter Hart spoke about that moment with Carey Price. Yeah, I mean, definitely a really special moment. Um, obviously, I look up to him, and for him to come over and like, congratulate you in the handshake line, and she said all of a series, and he'll be watching, and I mean, that's that's pretty special, and uh, definitely something I won't forget. He won't forget it. And, and uh, at times, uh, Carter Hart looked a little starstruck uh, through this series. Uh, yes, he got the um, uh, shutouts in, in games three and four, but that was less about Carter Hart. Uh, one of the games just uh, for um, uh, high danger scoring chances against uh, the Canadians weren't generating much. The Flyers were shutting things down and and uh, there was times that, that um, Carter Hart looked a bit shaky, that his confidence was shaken, especially after the 5 nothing game. Uh, but for him to um, uh, prevail or his team to prevail and for him to get through this playing against his, his boyhood idol, uh, it's going to, it obviously means a lot to him, but it's going to do a lot for his confidence and his career uh, in the future. Yeah, and he's got one one hell of a future in front of him. Uh, but uh, Elaine Vigneault, uh, as we said, the villain, he was the villain in this series for the <laughs> Montreal Canadiens and some of their fans as well. Uh, in the end, he uh, came around and, and complimented the Habs. You know, it was a hard-fought series. Montreal is a hard-working team, a quick team. Uh, they had their D's way more involved in our series than what we had seen against Pittsburgh. Uh, and, you know, their goaltender... Uh, gave them a chance every game and it was real tough at forechecking because of his puck handling. Montreal's a good team. They've got great goaltending. Their top four D is almost as good as anybody in the league and their young forwards have got a lot of speed. So I knew it was going to be a a heavy, a tough battle Uh, and it was, uh, you know, from start to finish. Uh, It's not easy to beat Price. It's got my attention the most as people in Philly, Flyer fans, and people in the province of Quebec, uh, Montreal Canadian fans, got a chance to see hockey. Uh, we're trying to do our part so that people can, uh, for a few hours a day, can think about something else than COVID and uh, trying to get their lives back to normalcy. So I hope uh, people enjoyed the series. There were certainly some entertaining parts to it, and uh, we'll uh, get ready for the next one. 
A little bit understated there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, complimenting the, the Canadians, talking about, uh, obviously, um, uh, the, the goaltending of Carey Price made a difference, but not only the goaltending, it was his puck handling, and the, the Flyers came in, the strength of their game was the forecheck, creating uh, opportunities off the forecheck, and one person, not the defense, one player disrupted their whole game plan, and that was Carey Price, because they couldn't forecheck the way. Uh, so not only was he making the saves, not only did he have the, the ridiculous save percentage, but he was disrupting uh, the the main asset of of their game, and, and that's why this uh, series ended up being closer than we thought. Then, going to a big picture... Um, and uh, we often forget where we were uh, and what we've been through uh, the last four months, but it's tough, and it's tough for a lot of our listeners. It's tough for people out there, and uh, Alain Vigneault talked about um, uh, fans, uh, he, he, Canadians fans in Quebec. Well, of course, we know Canadians fans are everywhere, um, and, and for uh, Flyers fans that this brought a bit of respite and, and uh, distraction and allowed people to enjoy sports, enjoy hockey once again. And I thought that was uh, an important enough uh, comment f- to include uh, in, in his uh, remarks. Absolutely. And that's been something that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks with, with sports being back. It's just good to have something you can turn your mind off for a little bit and uh, just enjoy enjoy the action. But uh, moving over from, so Elaine Vigneault, head coach the Philadelphia Flyers to the interim head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, Kirk Muller. And Kirk Muller was somebody that you immediately knew was going to have the respect of the players. We talked about a quote from Paul Byron last week about Kirk Muller being in the battles. And uh, Kirk Muller, I mean, his messaging was pretty simple here. He was playing for each other and uh, talking about growing and building together. The biggest thing is what they did when they got here. They committed to playing hard and playing for each other. And, you know, let's be honest, we surprised people. And But the experience of uh, what the, all these guys learned and how the, this has really gelled this group together. And this is a great thing for these guys uh, to build on. But then you come here and you put together and, and you start winning and, and uh, everyone's gels together and they, they got a taste of it. And that's the fun part with this group is that they, uh, you know, they, they've gone some ups, you know, through some ups and downs. But because of it, they, they're going to take this and go, wow, we, 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 can, we can move forward. And, and uh, that little taste of what the little success they have here, I think they're going to grow and build with it. Now that's a player. So, you know, that's play a former right player talk. And you defend well, and then yep. you can score goals. That's a nice combination, and especially when you get the goaltending like Carey Price in there. <clears throat> you know what he he brings to this team. So, you know, you got experienced veteran leaders. You got young guys to build with. You got a team that played the right way. You got great goaltending. You know, there's, there's a lot of when you put all those things together, it's uh, you know, it's a nice uh, nice pieces. You can't imagine the confidence uh, it brings to players in a team when you know that you have a goalie like that back in the, in the nets that, you know, you, you, if you play and you make a mistake, he, you know, he's going to back you up. And it, as a player, that, that's, that's a pretty good feeling to have. Kerry uh, has showed that he's, uh, you, know, if, you know, the top goalie in this game. Uh, you know his passions there. You know he's committed, uh, and I think if you t- if you talk to the carry, I'm sure uh, he'll say, "Listen, I, I love what's going on, and I love this team and this group of guys." And and that's you know if you feel that way, that it's, it's going to show in your game. And and I think Kerry's a real committed uh, guy right now, and he wants to win. And uh, 
this is this is all just pure optimism uh, from what we saw him on his performance in these two rounds. They're going to see that playing these many minutes and all that, how important uh, conditioning is, you know, so they're going to have to, you know, continue to work on that, to continue their stamina, get stronger. Uh, you know, it's a tough league. And, you know, we had a couple, you know, rounds here, but you're going to, you know, have to do it after 82 games. So you can't get complacent. You got to keep working on those type of things. But I think really, other than that, they should go home, feel good about themselves, come in great shape and build off of what they, uh, they just started here in Toronto. So that's a bit of a longer clip than we usually play, but there was so much in there to unpack yeah. uh, that I wanted to to get it all in. Um, he started talking about how uh, playing for each other, the way the the group has gelled um, and and come together, and you think about where they were in March um, and uh, with no chance of of making in the playoffs, with uh, disappointing on track for an 80-point season, miserable uh, season, uh, and and to come together and uh, to to grow together, to to achieve something together. Uh, and he mentioned, it, the, he used the word taste twice, uh, that they got a taste of, of what could be uh, and how important he thought that was. Yeah, and, and honestly, if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan and you were, you know, you're upset following Game 6, to hear Kirk Muller talk like that after that, that you you just had to be optimistic. You had to be happy to hear Kirk Muller speaking because he's just he's that type of guy. But and I think he listen and and we should say he did a phenomenal. He stepped into a very difficult situation where there's a real life health scare for Claude Julian. And he stepped in there and he did about as good a job as you could expect. And Kerry Price echoed that sentiment when he was talking about the job that Kirk Muller did, saying that he was excelling in the role as interim head coach for sure and and uh, it seemed to be um and we'll play that clip in just a second but uh we heard there Mueller saying um uh, about the value of Carey Price and throughout the season um whether it's media uh, whether it's hostile media whether it's uh, angry fans um, talking about uh, how much Carey Price is paid talking about uh, his statistics um uh, mocking the fact that Player poll after player poll uh, list Carey Price as the, the the best goalie in the world still. Um, yeah. you, you heard lots of people challenging that and and even to the point of how committed he is. Well, he's more focused on his young family. Look at all the kids he has. Uh, maybe he wants to go back out west. Maybe he, he wants to go to Seattle. Uh, all of this absolute nonsense. And um, Kirk Muller, uh, I think uh, he's heard it. Uh, so he emphasized how committed uh, that Carey Price is to this team and to winning and that his his uh, effort uh, showed that. And, and how much that commitment, uh, how much confidence that gives the, the players around him. Um, the other thing, um, and I'll let you uh, jump on in on that uh, too, but uh, the other thing I'll just mention is um, there was a bit of caution at the end, a bit of tempering uh, uh, by Kirk Muller saying, um, okay, uh, you know, we can be happy about this and our players can be happy and, and we grew. Uh, but remember, uh, in a normal playoffs, we have to do this after playing 82 games. We don't get a break. Yeah. Uh, and um, we we have to uh, we are plan we are hoping to go on a long playoff run. So, you know, the the business about 
uh, playing uh, four defensemen and three lines. We're not going to be able to do that after a regular 82-game season. So we've got a lot of work uh, to do here yet. And I think those are the price comment and the the tempering the expectations uh, were well said by Mueller. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that. And, and like I said, I think that when, when Kirk Muller took over, there was the level of respect that there was had by by all of these players. And we knew that Kirk Muller had a great relationship with Jesperi Kotkaniemi and, and the young players. He does that so effectively as the intermediary between Claude Julien and, and especially the young players who sometimes, you know, the, the communication isn't always really effective with those younger guys. But he did, yeah. He did a phenomenal job, and and of course, Carey Price. We we know that Carey Price is committed. We know that, and we knew coming in that Carey Price was going to give Montreal a chance to win against Pittsburgh. He did that, and Kirk Muller, I think, um, a really uh, effective point there to make that to say that Carey Price is committed, and uh, yeah, Carey Price, as I said, uh, echoing the sentiments that uh, Kirk Muller did a great job and excelled in the role as uh, interim head coach. Kirk Muller was under a lot of pressure uh, coming out of the last game and the way he managed his bench. Uh, Nick was saying on the air that that he challenged your top line tonight to set the tone. What do you make of the way Kirk managed this game and got you guys prepared to to offer the game that you ended up with? Yeah, he's been doing a great job behind the bench. It's bringing a lot of energy and enthusiasm. You know, it's not an easy position to, to get tossed into, but, you know, I think he's leaning on his prior experiences as a head coach and uh, he's excelling right now. He's excelling right now. He's doing a great job. He's bringing enthusiasm to the bench. Uh, I yeah. played. I played the question because um, uh, if if you know, uh, and I'm not going to embarrass the reporter who asked it uh, by by naming him, but uh, it was a hostile question, and it followed uh, reams of of uh, bad report uh, of negative reporting about Kirk Muller. Uh, talking about how he's uh, overusing the blender and the blender's broken. That seemed to be a common theme by the Montreal media. When um, uh, Kirk Muller managed uh, the team to its first win, the 5 nothing win, the media was all about, well, he's just uh, a puppet. Uh, uh, Claude Julien's pulling all the strings. When they lost games 3 and 4, they came down hard, and it was all Kirk Muller's fault, uh, the Montreal media. They are extremely hostile. Uh, and that has to do with his language. We understand that. Uh, when uh, Carey Price came out and uh, just took that that pitch and, and blew it out of the park and said, what a good job Mueller's doing, nobody reported it. Yep. Which is that the reporter who asked the question didn't include it in his story. He was obviously looking for a different answer. The Montreal Canadiens... Listen, this is a, 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 an associate coach that steps in with a health emergency. You think that, that and he, he, he's doing a great job. You think that the Canadians, whose social media was pretty active, uh, or whose website was pretty active, would be all over that quote. They didn't report it. They did not report it. That says a lot about, um, you know, as we asked the question last week, can... Kirk Muller be the the uh, a full time uh, coach with the Montreal Canadiens, full time head coach. Um, obviously, with the way he coached, Carey Price thinks so, uh, but uh, others uh, in the city do not. Yeah, and I'll add to your previous point about talking about the blender, and and there was even conversation in Game Four about why is Kirk Muller still rolling four lines. 
And the thing that I said to that, well, it's easy to shorten the bench when you know the guys that you can rely on, right? Like you can do that when you know who are the guys that are going to be chipping in offensively for you. You didn't know who those guys were going to be for the Montreal Canadiens, especially after game three and uh, specifically in game four. You just did not know who you could trust to be an offensive presence. But Kirk Muller did. Yeah, he did a fantastic job. And even if we we might not it might not ever be in Montreal that he's the head coach but I think you have to believe that his stock has risen in in terms of the perception of him around the league obviously a natural born leader we talked about his characteristics last week two time he was a captain in two different spots in his NHL career as a player and and perhaps he's prepared for an opportunity as Kerry Price talked about bringing that enthusiasm maybe he's prepared for a, a head coaching job elsewhere but uh Kirk Muller touched on the uh, the fact that in the playoffs, especially, is any play can change momentum, and then we saw a couple of them in this series. Yeah, huge, huge save. You know what? I think in, there was great energy on our bench tonight. Uh, guys uh, certainly acknowledge it and let Pricer know what what a big save that was. You know this, and again, this series is so tight. Uh, and any particular play can can change the, the the pace or the tempo or momentum for any team. So you know it's whether you score at the right time or anything. But a save from Pricer at that time was a was a huge momentum uh, builder uh, for us at that uh, that big save. And it's not only just about um, you know him complimenting Carey Price. It's what he said that any play can change momentum. And I think. You know, we heard uh, Kirk Muller preaching about emotion and, and passion and intensity, but also we heard over and over and over again him talking about focus and attention to detail. And I think that's, there are players, um, you know, Mark Bergevin talked about players that get you to the playoffs and players that carry you through. Uh, there are players who get this message uh, that Kirk Muller was preaching, and there's those who don't, um, that any play... Any play um, can affect the outcome. Uh, you never know uh, what that play is going to be. So you have to pay attention to detail. You have to focus on every shift, on every play. You can't uh, casually just uh, cruise the neutral zone and forget where you are and go over offside when Nick Suzuki is scoring a goal because it didn't, but it could affect yep. the outcome of the game. Uh, and and that's a very important lesson that uh, Kirk Muller is giving to his players that he knows from being a player. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, very fortunate that the Montreal Canadiens uh, did come out on the positive end of that one because that could have been a, a little bit of a disaster. Um, but uh, but Rick, um, moving on to uh, some uh, sad news that that emerged this week. Uh, Dale Howarchuk uh, passed away at the age of 57 following a battle with uh, stomach cancer. Um, now, I never saw Dale Howarchuk play any games. Um, I saw I watched with my dad when they were re-airing the 87 Canada Cup. That was the first time that I saw Dale Howarchuk play an actual game. But for me, even in spite of the fact that I never saw him play, there is nobody more synonymous with the Winnipeg Jets for me than Dale Howarchuk. When I think of the Winnipeg Jets, when I see the old school Winnipeg Jets logo, I think of Dale Howarchuk. Quiet superstar, um, very unassuming, very humble, very gracious. Uh, but uh, so so he doesn't he doesn't have the the bigger than life 
um, appearance of a Gretzky. And, and yet, you know, here's a guy with 600 point seasons uh, between the, the 80s and 90s, uh, points accumulated second only to Gretzky. Um, this guy was, uh, it, if, if not for Wayne Gretzky, uh, we'd be talking about uh, 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 Dale Howard check a whole lot more. And, um, you know, you mentioned that, um, that 1987 game. There's, there's iconic moments in hockey, and certainly the 72 Summit Series is one, but the 87 yeah. Canada Cup is another. And, and why do we remember uh, that, that, game, that uh, series? Because of the pairing of Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux and their dramatic uh, goal uh, at the end of, of uh, Game 3 to uh, put Canada up 6-5 uh, and win the Canada Cup. But who, who was it that made that play happen? It was Dale Howarchuk. He was the yep. pivot. Uh, he was the center. Three centers you have out there, but it was Dale Howarchuk uh, that took the face off, won the face off uh, from Vacheslav Bikov, and um, uh, Lemieux picked it up uh, and off to Gretzky, and uh, then Gretzky returned. Uh, now Lemieux was wide open for his shot on that play. Wide open. How did that happen? Because Dale Howardchuk uh, spun, hooked uh, Beekoff. Uh, Beekoff was the only guy that that had a chance to catch Lemieux, <laughs> and uh, Dale Howardchuk did what he had to do to hold him up, putting Lemieux in the clear for for the goal. We we have that uh, goal call as uh, a tribute uh, to Dale Howardchuk. What a call. But uh, as we always often do at the start of the show, dedicate an episode to a player. It's going to be the Dale Howarchuk episode of the Canadians Connection podcast. We're thinking of everyone that knew and loved uh, Dale Howarchuk as we head to break here on the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit allhabs.net and click the Join Our Team tab today. In every city around the world, sports fans flock to popular watering holes to share a few pints, some good grub, and to cheer for their team. Think your favorite sports bar deserves to be recognized? Or are you traveling to a new place and need to find the perfect spot to watch a game? HockeyPub.com is the answer. Find out where the best spots are in your city to eat, drink, and meet fellow fans. HockeyPub.com. Want the latest Habs news with game previews, reviews, and highlights? How about full coverage of development camps and special events? 
Looking to follow the Laval Rocket more closely this season? Perhaps you'd like to learn more about team prospects. Would you like a place to socialize with hockey fans all over the world? We've got what you're looking for at allhabs.net, the place where you'll find everything you need to be the most informed and connected Habs fan around. Allhabs.net. And we're back here on the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. You can follow me on Twitter at Joela19. You can follow uh, Rick at All Habs. And you can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And visit our website at CanadiansConnection.com. And keep in mind, we also do have the uh, Rocket Sports text line at 585-3-ROCKET. You can connect with us that way as well. We're all about connections here on the Canadians Connection podcast. Um, but Rick, so segment two, we're going to take the time to look at Mark Bergevin's press conference, end of season press conference from yesterday, uh, probably having a far more, a far different end of season press conference than he thought that he was going to have. Uh, when you look back at what the situation was back in March when the regular season was paused, just uh, ending up having a playoff run to talk about. Well, let me let me just emphasize that. And I think it's a really important point. I, I know we're going to move on and, and uh, but um, what about that that end of well it was it was after the trade deadline that he had a press conference and basically it was it was almost the end of the season because the Canadians were uh, going to be out of the playoffs but do you remember that press conference and yeah. the, the the reviews of it uh, incoherent confusing contradictory one uh, uh, actually a, a Canadians friendly uh, reporter said an unmitigated disaster. And right after that, he went on a bit of a, a, an apology or a cleanup tour uh, and hastily arranged interviews. And, and he had uh, uh, John Sedgwick uh, with him, uh, the legal guy. He had uh, uh, Paul Wilson, the communications guy, make sure nothing went wrong after that. And, and he had to clean up all of what he had said in that press uh, um, uh, conference. And, um, and now, as you said... This is this is completely different. A completely different um, theme, a completely different tone, completely different attitude. And a lot of that is centered around the young players, obviously. And we're going to talk about Carey Price and Shea Weber, as Mark Bergevin did. But starting out with the young players, because that's where a lot of this sort of optimism is coming from. And the fact that the young players gained experience, talking specifically, I think, about Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Nick Suzuki, who really blossomed over the course. And I mean, I think with especially with Jesperi Kotkaniemi, given not only the fact that he was injured a couple of different times this season, that he was sent down to Laval, but the fact that he was coming off of that spleen injury, that we knew he was coming back to, to play and, and his goal was to play. But I mean, I don't know if anyone ever expected that he would look as good as he did in the qualification round series against Pittsburgh. And I think by far the most comfortable looking forward the Montreal Canadiens had against the Philadelphia Flyers. He was at home with that physicality. He was, and and remember how dominant he was in the Pittsburgh series as well. It it ended uh, the series ended, and and part partly it had to do with the uh, with the ejection. But the the series ended with uh, us talking about Nick Suzuki, and um, you know uh, three goals in the last two games, uh, absolutely. But 
let's not forget, it was Jesperi Kotkaniemi uh, who was, uh, uh, you know, a little bit ahead of, of Suzuki in, in both the Pittsburgh and um, uh, Philadelphia series. He came into this and was a new player. Uh, his physicality, most physical, most dominant um, uh, player, uh, and I think, you know, one of the things we're probably going to be talking about next week is, is what did we learn from all of this, from the, uh, the postseason and, and the regular season. But one of the things that we learned uh, for sure was uh, Phil Deneau is no longer the best center on this Montreal Canadiens team. Yep. Uh, I think we've, we've learned that for sure. And we'll probably, as you said, be talking about that next week. The, so the trade-off that you make for this experience for these two young guys in particular and two guys that you think that the Montreal Canadiens uh, or, or that many people think are going to be, you know, the sort of two-headed monster down the middle for the Montreal Canadiens uh, for years to come, them gaining this experience, the trade-off is moving down seven spots in the NHL entry draft. And Mark Bergevin talked about, well, you can get the same quality of player at 16 that you could have gotten at nine. Yeah, he said similar so, player. The, the, similar player. I, I I would dispute that a bit, but but uh, yeah. they know better than I. The the interesting thing for me is that uh, Mark Bergevin's conclusion said that uh, it was uh, it came after a conversation that he had with Tre- Trevor Timmons, and he said a few weeks back, I don't know when that happened, but Tre- Trevor Timmons said we can get the same quality of player. Uh, at, at uh, 16 that we can get at nine. So how did that conversation come up? Yeah. You know, during the <laughs> Pittsburgh series uh, was where they, uh, geez, maybe we should, and I'm not accusing anybody of this, but uh, d- is it better for us not to, to win? Uh, and, and Trevor Timmons is like, no, 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 go ahead. Uh, go ahead. We'll, we'll, I'll get you the same, yep. same player. It's an interesting, it's interesting that they even had that conversation. And, and, and uh, then interesting again that uh, uh, Timmons is, is pretty confident that they can get a, a quality player at uh, the 16 pick. And if there's anybody that the Montreal at Montreal Canadiens fans should trust, it's it's Trevor Timmons, given mm-hmm. his his you know his track record of selecting and the fact that that third overall pick, a lot of people, I mean, and, and especially after this season, some people were saying, well, why did the Montreal Canadiens not draft a guy like Brady Kachuk? Why did they draft Yasperi Kotkaniemi? You saw why they drafted Yasperi Kotkaniemi in this playoff run. And it's because that he has got mm-hmm. the ability to change the game in multiple ways and his control of the game. That was what drew me. That was what really uh, I was taken aback by the fact that he was controlling the game every time he was out there on the ice. And Kevin Hayes, Kevin Hayes talked about that, that Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi, they drove the offense. They're, That's right. They're 20, 20, what, 20 years old. Jesperi Kotkaniemi just turned 20. Nick Suzuki is a year older than, than Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Those are two guys, really young guys, driving the offense uh, from the, the words of, a, of an opposition player. That, that's high praise. Mm-hmm. So, and as I said, yes, moving down seven spots is the trade-off that you make for gaining that experience. Um, so, Rick, uh, moving on, because there was also Mark Bergevin touched on Brendan Gallagher's injury update. We've talked about the jaw injury um, a, a little bit on this show already, but... That was also something that was touched upon yesterday by Mark Bergevin, as you would expect at the end of season press conference. Um, he talked about uh, Brandon Gallagher. Ha- he had surgery late Friday night. 
that uh, on his jaw and uh, to repair his his uh, fractured jaw, and that he uh, on Saturday uh, returned uh, to Vancouver. Um, now we knew that there was also a lingering injury uh, from Game Two uh, of um, of the Pittsburgh series, and let's be honest. Uh, game five, we saw Brendan Gallagher. Uh, prior to that, Brendan, the Brendan Gallagher that we know uh, hadn't showed up, and and the yeah. reason was uh, we 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 assumed it was an ankle injury. It turns out uh, Mark Bergevin said there was a hip tear uh, that occurred mm-hmm. in Game Two at Pittsburgh, and that was hampering and holding Brendan Gallagher back, but said, uh, you know him as well as I do. He's a warrior and would not come out of the lineup. And, and Carey Price talked about the heart of Brendan Gallagher as well, and that was so that was evident throughout, I think, even though you can look at the production and say, uh, you know, it wasn't there, but Brendan Gallagher, just his presence in the lineup, it just brings something for this Montreal Canadiens team. Um, so... Another really interesting storyline that has emerged for the Montreal Canadiens and uh, has been made all the more interesting given his uh, relative ineffectiveness throughout his play in the bubble. Uh, Max Domi has a bit of an uncertain future with the team. He's going to be a restricted free agent this offseason. He put up three points in the 10 games the Montreal Canadiens played in the bubble, and they all came in the same game. So, and that was the game two against the Philadelphia Flyers. That was the one that the Canadians won handily. That was the only game where the Montreal Canadiens uh, produced, uh, other than game five, they produced in that one. But I mean, you're looking at a game that was that was in hand and he got three assists in that game, didn't do anything else for the rest of the, the, uh, the time the Montreal Canadiens were playing. So with that, where does this lead for Max Domi? Max Domi was a non-factor completely in this series. Uh, And don't talk to me about, well, he started out on the fourth line. He wasn't good enough to be promoted uh, beyond that. He didn't play well enough. Um, And, uh, you know, Mark Bergevin, you know, would not commit. Um, uh, Said he has, uh, when, when asked about his performance, said you should ask him about it. Um, and uh, said he has an uncertain future. He, uh, Mark Bergevin said that uh, they'll meet uh, over the, the upcoming weeks uh, to, to talk about a contract for next year. Um, uh, Max Domi is an RFA, uh, but uh, Max Domi was a huge disappointment uh, through the, the postseason, uh, but he had an opportunity to redeem himself uh, in Game 6. Uh, Richard Labay um uh, from La Presse tweeted this with Gallagher out the one guy I was looking at to take the lead was Max Domi high stakes intensity this game was his for the taking it was tailor made for Max Domi in other words but Domi was a non-factor and now you have to wonder if Montreal would really want to hold on to him long term Here's and listen, I've I've talked about Max Domi a lot and I've said that I think that he's far more like the player that he was in Arizona than he's like the 70 point guy that we saw last year. And I think you can put all that aside and you can look at one thing. And that is the fact that in a preseason game in his first season in Montreal, he just randomly punched Aaron Eckblad in the face just Mm -hmm. for no real reason. Just punched him in the face. Max Domi is not somebody that I think you can 
put a lot of this, you can put a lot of trust in and say that, you know what, we know what we're going to get out of Max Domi because he's, he's erratic. That that's what he is. That's who he is as a player. You saw a penalty in game six, a really just a really poorly timed penalty. And he took a couple of them as well. Took a spearing penalty earlier on in the series. Like he was just, he was not somebody that you could trust. And there's a reason why he was on the fourth line to start it. And that's because he's not somebody that, 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 that really, I think has earned any amount of trust this season. And I think that puts him in a, in a really interesting spot heading into this off season. I think that, I mean, with the emergence of the two young players, we just talked about, you talked about Philip Deneau no longer being the best center on the team. Well, Max Domi, I think unless he wants to, unless he gets really comfortable on that left wing real soon, He's not going to be in Montreal next year because mm-hmm. he, he just he's shown a complete lack of interest in playing on that left side, completely disengaged. And he did. Yeah. Other than those three points in that one game was a non-factor, completely uh, a non-factor. So that that that's going to be a real interesting story to follow uh, this offseason. That's for sure. Um, so moving on to two other guys that, you know, what you're going to get out of them, Kerry uh, Price and Shea Weber. They were on top of their games, without a doubt. They were fantastic for the Montreal Canadiens. They were steadying forces as you'd expect them to be. And uh, they're the leaders of this team. And and Mark Bergevin talked about not only what they bring to this team right now, but the things and habits that they do that that, that are going to be present in this organization for years after they're gone. Start with Carey and uh, Webby. They're obviously uh, still on top of their game. So... uh... Not that we have any doubts, but I think some people might have, but that was never the case with us. Uh, you need some great leadership to build around, and when you bring some young guys, so uh, those guys are, are very important for our team moving forward. Well, um, if there was any doubt about uh, uh, the way that they can perform, um, they answered themselves. Uh, but Mark Bergevin uh, has often been criticized and and it was like, well let's get rid of uh Weber and Price and start again um Mark Bergevin uh, uh we heard uh, um Kirk Muller earlier say that um Carey Price is committed to Montreal Mark Bergevin just committed to Carey Price uh, right there and said that because of of the performance of Price and Weber uh and because of their leadership uh, they are go- they're going to be um, uh, the core, remain the core uh, of this team going forward. Yeah, and one thing that Mark Bergevin touched on as well is trying to find a backup goaltender for Carey Price, which has seemingly been uh, on the to- to-do list for uh, quite a while. And we remember back to last offseason, they signed Keith Kincaid with the hopes that he could play around 25 to 30 games. Was that the number that Keith Kincaid <laughs> himself right. threw out? Yeah, didn't quite get there. Um, so the Montreal Canadiens uh, are making it a priority to get Carey Price a backup goaltender that can provide him some rest, but it needs to be the right fit. Um, so, Rick, <laughs> what do you make of, of those comments, especially following last offseason? Yeah, uh, um, Mark Bergevin uh, made a commitment to improving that spot. It's, uh, you know, he talked about... Uh, what price can do when he's rested and how important that is. And so they need someone that can come in and play, uh, competently and consistently, uh, as, as, as a backup and it needs to be the, the right fit. It's interesting to me that, uh, if you look at, at, uh, going forward, Mark Bergevin's to-do list, 
competent backup goalie, uh, a top pair, top pairing left defenseman, top six scoring help, fix the power play. All of those things are are things that uh, he needs to focus on this off season. But they were the exact yeah. same things on his list last off season. <laughs> Yeah, and for me, I mean, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, and, and we're going to get to a clip in a little bit about how Mark Bergevin is going to approach this offseason, but the one thing that I don't think that you can do if you are Mark Bergevin is make the same mistake you made last year when you gave $1.5 million to Keith Kincaid with the hopes that he could be the backup goaltender that would fix all the problems and, and be that right fit. When you could have, I mean, you, I mean, $1.5 million wouldn't have gone astray in that offer sheet that you tabled for Sebastian Ajo. Maybe the Carolina Hurricanes would have to think about it for longer than 25 minutes. Um, but for me, yes, you do need a competent backup goaltender. I happen to think the Montreal Canadiens already have that competent backup goaltender, and he was talked about by Claude Julien as looking really well, uh, Charlie Lindgren looking really well early on. Uh, but the one thing that I will say, too, is you know what's going to provide Carey Price some some rest and some uh, maybe a little bit of a better sleep is knowing the fact that up front there is somebody that can score some goals for him you know maybe Mm -hmm. some he doesn't have to go into every game thinking that he has to be perfect if you do that that is going to alleviate so much of the pressure for Carey Price because Carey Price has to enter every game as he did in this playoff series and if Carey Price is not perfect the Montreal Canadiens did not have a chance to win the game that's right. And that, to me, is where this needs to change. The backup goaltender is all well and good. If you find a backup goaltender that can play 25 to 30 games and, and lighten the load for Carey Price, that's important too, no doubt. But get him some scoring because that's the one thing that he can't control. <laughs> exactly. And um, so he went on to talk about other players, Brett Kulak. Brett Kulak, yeah. uh, for, by, by most uh, observations, uh, he had a, a, a good playoff. Um, uh, Bergevin talked about, um, that, uh, Kulak is pretty hard on himself. He gets nervous, uh, loss of confidence. And, uh, the reason that, uh, Kulak played up and down in the, in the lineup and was even a healthy scratch, uh, was his lack of consistency. He was more consistent, uh, during the, um, uh, the playoffs, um, and and played well, but uh, I just don't see Brett Kulak would be uh, where, where he has those games, where he has that lack of confidence, where he has that nervousness. Uh, that could be dealt with if he was uh, a six, seven, or eighth defenseman. Um, uh, and 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 you know, with uh, with uh, as an injury fill in, he can. We know that he can move up and play um, uh, competently with with Jeff Petrie. Is he a true? Number four, uh, a top four defenseman, no. I don't think, with all due respect to Brett Kulak and how well he played in the playoffs, no, I don't think so. And, and that's a tough thing too, right, is, I mean, we saw Brett Kulak really join the rush a lot. And you talked about Elaine Vigneault, who talked about the Montreal Canadiens' blue line being far more active than they were in the, in the Pittsburgh Penguins series. I think a lot of that was just Brett Kulak. Brett Kulak was up in the rush every time he was on the ice. And the problem with that, and and you say that, I mean, if the problem is that he doesn't, he, he sort of goes through the ups and downs and experiences, you know, issues with confidence, then yeah, over the course of an 82 game season, there's going to be times where, you know, you're, you're going through a lull or the Montreal Canadiens are struggling and your game is struggling and you have to find ways to sort of, to get through that. If he can do that, 
and he can also be a guy that joins the rush as effectively as he did for most of the playoffs, then I think that he can find a spot in the lineup. But yeah, as you said, he might not be best served as a top four defenseman. So another guy who did not feature into the lineup, uh, Ryan Paling. And uh, Mark Bergevin was clear that that was the coach's decision, but the Montreal Canadiens aren't giving up on Ryan Paling. Some nastiness on, uh, particularly from Montreal reporters, uh, one in particular, uh, towards uh, Ryan Paling. Uh, Matthias Brunet uh, from La Presse, and, and we remember it was Matthias Brunet who uh, stepped in and, and gave uh, uh, Mark Bergevin that softball interview uh, that kind of bailed him out of the, the, the bad uh, March press conference. Um, and just hinted ever so slightly that uh, Ryan Paling came uh, to camp out of shape and, and Ryan because they had made more, I think, of the comments that, that Ryan Paling had said uh, uh, he took some time to recover after the, the season uh, dealing with some t- and, and didn't train uh, as hard. Uh, but, you know, Ryan Paling is, has had uh, a month of training or more with, uh, with, the, with this team, practicing with them in training camp uh, and, and, uh, and beyond. Uh, was he less in shape than uh, uh, Alex Belzeal? Was he less in shape than a Dale Weiss? I think people are making way too much of this, and and uh, we know that the Montreal media does not like Ryan Paling, and that's you know partly because of his religious beliefs and so on, and how forward he is with that. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's uh, Mark Bergevin kind of threw cold water on that. It's too soon to read anything from uh, him not playing too soon to give up on him, uh, that he can still, uh, he's going to be given every opportunity uh, to grow and to develop uh, and that uh, hopefully he can be part of uh, the Canadians in the future. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it is way too soon to start having conversations about giving up on Ryan Paling. It was just last year that all the hopes and, and dreams were attached to Ryan Paling because the last game of the season was all the Montreal Canadiens fans had to go off of, and they saw a hat trick and a shootout winner. So it, it can change so quickly. And, of course, uh, Ryan Paling also had a bit of a rough season in terms of the years you talked about, recovering from injuries. Uh, so it, it's difficult to evaluate, really. Um, but more than anything else, I think the main takeaway for Montreal, for the Montreal Canadiens and their fans is that they are ahead of where they thought they were. Um, How much further ahead are they than where they were in March? I'm not entirely sure because I don't know how much stock you really put into the way that this team performed in the playoffs. That might be a conversation for next week when we talk about things that we've learned. But to me, I mean, when you have Carey Price and Shea Weber, you're going to have an opportunity to win. And the emergence of these young players, I think, is where this sort of thought process of being further ahead of where they thought they were is coming from. Yeah, it's it's an open question and I can see a debate on both sides and perhaps we'll take up that debate next week. I think we we have to be reminded uh, that uh, the Montreal Canadiens did not beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Pittsburgh Penguins dominated that series right up into the, the final game. Carey Price stole that series, plain and yes. simple. Um, and uh, the, the Canadians, if they're going to be that team that uh, you know goes on a long playoff run, 
Uh, they need more than that. They need more than Carey Price. Uh, they'll have Carey Price. They'll have Shea Weber. But they need much more than that. And and uh, as we said with Kirk Muller, he hinted at that that uh, they, and tempered the expectations that they need to do these things after a long 82-game season and, um, you know, structure a lineup where everybody's contributing so they're not relying on such a small uh, core of players who happen to be going. So, yeah, we just saw 10 games of the Montreal Canadiens playing up to their competition against the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Philadelphia Flyers. You need to do that eight more times in the course of a regular season. And they needed to do it seven more times than they did in this past season. They played 71 games. It's easy to do it for 10 games. You need to do it consistently. And that's that's where this all comes from. And and they did it with Carey Price leading the charge, with uh, Shea Weber, with Sherratt being very physical, uh, with Arturi Lekkanen uh, playing out of his mind and, and yeah. raising his level to, to a playoff, with Suzuki and Kakinemi, as we talked about. They got where they were without Deneau, who was neither good defensively or uh, offensively, without Max Domi, as we talked about, without Thomas Tatar. Um, Mark Bergevin, in his press conference, uh, referred to Tatar uh, he seemed to be a little bit more um, easy on, on Tatar than he was Domi saying he expects Tatar to return. But Thomas Tatar has never been a playoff performer. Uh, they did it without Gallagher, as we mentioned, and they certainly did it without Jonathan Drouin, who only showed up at the, the end of, of the playoffs. Uh, so those are the guys that the Canadians uh, expect um, to, uh, to contribute. They didn't in these playoffs. So again... I, th- I can see both sides with this. Uh, are they further ahead uh, or aren't they? Yeah. And I mean, whatever happens, Mark Bergevin, um, he's, he's talking about, he talked about what's going to be coming next and uh, started it off with saying that this is a team that is headed in the right direction, that you did gain this experience and um, that ultimately this is a team that the fans can be proud of. And I think that that uh, one of the things that that many of the uh, uh, fans and media are looking towards, they're really anxious for this offseason. We're going to have a yeah. lot to talk about in future shows. I should mention that it is the end of the Canadian season, not the end of our season. We're going to be here yeah. <laughs> uh, talking about this because there's a lot coming up. Uh, there's there's uh, 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 a draft. There's free agency. There are trades. Uh, yes. Mark Bergevin can now make trades. Uh, any team who's who's out of the, the the playoffs can make trades. That's a lot of teams. Uh, there's only eight so teams happy. left. Uh, he's so, gonna be so happy. <laughs> so there's a huge expectation um, that the Canadians, uh, you know, sh- uh, showed uh, that they're maybe closer than they th- than uh, people think. Uh, they have all of this cap uh, room stockpiled. They have all of these draft picks to use as assets. So there's going to be fireworks this off season, right? Right? Yeah. Right. Has to be. Um, let's hear what Mark Bergevin has to say. The cap situation okay. with, you know, what's happening with the pandemic, we have to be careful. And also the, the young players we have, eventually we, we can't go out and just spend and be responsible and expose ourselves to do some key young players. So uh, we'll be smart. We'll, be, we, we'll, we'll manage our, our cap properly. But we're always going to look, you know, to improve our, our team uh, either to draft uh, obviously, draft is number one. So if you are a free agent, if it's available, uh, if it makes sense, 
but also be on the caution size that we, we have to be careful with, with the cap. It just, you can't go out just to spend money, just to spend money. We, we in the right direction and we're going to be uh, careful how we do it. But again, if we could make our team better by moving a pick or a, a players that we feel who could make us better for, for a long period of time, we'll do that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uncharted territory for all of us. And obviously with the cap being flat, and without knowing when will teams will be able to have fans in, in the stands, you know, with revenues, and it affects the salary cap. So it might not be a, as uh, as it was in the past. Again, it's you know, it's not something that I'm we're making up. It's just reality. I mean, everybody's going to have to take a hit, and but I don't know the extent of it, how it's going to affect. But you know, it's something that's very possible. We'll have some decision to make. I, I believe we only have one UFA this year. But they have next two. summer, uh, ah. it's a different uh, ball game. And again, with the cap being flat, we have to be very careful how we spend our money. Yeah, it gets a little tricky. That's why you need to be careful. It doesn't appear to be as much as people might think when you, you add the guys that you like to bring back. And players, as you know, don't come on a one-year deal. So uh, players that we'll have to, we want to bring back, you know, we'll need terms. So, and then we have younger players that also we want to keep. So we need to be really careful. It's just not like as high as people might think. And it goes around the league. We, we, you have to be careful how you spend your money, especially with a cap, a flat cap probably moving forward for the next two, three years. So play a drinking game. Um, listen to that <laughs> clip a few times. And every time he says either careful or cautious, uh, have a sip. And uh, <laughs> for Mark Bergevin, all of this cap room means being careful and cautious. So those fans who are expecting a lot of off-season activity, uh, we hate to disappoint you, uh, but he didn't sound like... Uh, a guy who's going to be spending that money. And just a, a reminder that the Canadians uh, in 19, uh, 2019-20 were 25th in the league in cap spent. The Canadians are a budget team. They are not a team who spends to the cap. Uh, and and this past year, let's not include, uh, let's not forget that that, that cap spending, even, the, no, even though they're near the bottom of the league, includes $4.5 million in salary paid, paid to players who are not on the roster. Dead money. Who is that? Keith Kincaid, Ilya Kovalchuk, Marco Scandella, Steve Mason. Steve Mason? Yes, Steve, Steve Mason. Mason. $4.5 million in, in uh, money paid to players who are not on the roster. You take that money out, and uh, it puts the Canadians last in the league in in uh, salary spent. Uh, this is a franchise, however, whose value is third in the NHL at one point three five billion dollars. And people have the audacity to complain about Carey Price making ten point five <laughs> million dollars. He has nothing in front of him. <laughs> he has Shea Weber, excuse me. I will say the Montreal Canadiens, they have good players, but you can spend more and get more good players to have in front of Carey Price. And isn't that a concept that uh, that wouldn't go astray in Montreal? Um, but th so, this Rick, is because of the pandemic, right? Yeah, That's the yeah. only reason. It's the only yeah, reason. Only reason. All, only teams, reason. all teams are acting this way, aren't yep. they? All teams, every team, including Chuck Fletcher, who gave credit to the Montreal Canadiens and talked about that this offseason is going to be very difficult for the Flyers as well, right? Uh, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to the Montreal Canadiens. They played a uh, very structured, very fast game. Uh, they put a lot of pressure on us. Uh, I 
think we put a lot of pressure on them at times too. And uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, free ice out there. Uh, we had to battle for everything we had. And yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, teams, once you get, uh, you sign your own RFAs and you look at the, the salary cap being flat for potentially two to three years, uh, there's not going to be a lot of liquidity in the system. So it's going to be interesting how free agents approach that, how teams approach that. You know, might, you might see more hockey trades, dollar-for-dollar uh, dollar trades, where teams need to improve or need to upgrade in certain areas, and, and you don't have the ability maybe to go into the UFA market, so you, you know, you'll have to be creative and, and, uh, and finding solutions with other teams. So uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, a lot of teams, obviously, every summer, everybody is always looking to improve, and I think you'll see that again. But again, without the normal liquidity that you normally see in the system, it, it's going to force teams to be more creative. Creative. Here's another C word. Uh, for Mark Bergevin, the cap equals being careful and cautious. For Chuck Fletcher, it's also a C word, but he uses the word creative. Yeah, and I think that that's sort of representative of Mark Bergevin's entire tenure, right? Is the fact that the Montreal Canadiens, for a very long time, have been careful and cautious about how they spend their money and where they spend their money. Um, where, I mean, you could have been try to be creative and find other ways to make the team better. And that's where Chuck Fletcher uses a word that ultimately, I think when you are creative as either a coach or a general manager, that's when you find the most success. I agree completely. And, yeah. and we, we included, uh, Chuck Fletcher, um, just uh, for one, he had some nice things to say about the Canadians in the playoffs yes. and, and broke down a bit, uh, the way that they saw the, the Canadian, the way the Canadians performed, but also, uh, to include that just to, to, uh, you know, Chuck Fletcher, um, uh, identified the same issues as Mark Bergevin, the same flat cap, uh, issues, uh, but but it's not about uh, the the problems. It's about the solutions. And I keep going back to um, Stan Bowman saying Mark Bergevin. Uh, he you know he he fancies himself as as a a bit of a player evaluator. Uh, what he's going to need is he doesn't have a clue about the cap. He doesn't know anything about the cap. And uh, Stan Bowman said he's going to have to educate himself. Now has he? Maybe he has about about how yeah. the cap works, but not on how to use the cap, on how to be creative, on how to help his his team uh, with uh, with cap. Yeah, and and people will often look at the Winnipeg Jets trade that you referenced Steve Mason as being a part of that and being a part of the, the that the Montreal Canadiens are still paying for, uh, but the Montreal Canadiens people. Some fans will reference that as being a creative move by Mark Bergevin to sure. take on that cap and also get Yoel Armia. But you're taking on that cap, and it's still it's dead money that you are paying for for a guy that you are not getting the benefit of having him in the lineup. So it's if you can make more moves like that, but in a way that maybe benefits Montreal a little bit more. I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you could you could find ways to be creative and do things like that. And maybe that's the type of trade that Chuck Fletcher is talking about. Uh, but Rick, we uh, we've talked about quite a lot from this Mark Bergevin's uh, Mark Bergevin end of season press conference. So uh, we'll take a quick break and when we come back. We'll get some of the social media reaction to the series. And there was a really uh, fun uh, and great article uh, from Mike Rashel about uh this uh, sort of an optimistic view of, of what just happened and all the things that we've seen unfold over the past couple of weeks. So stay with us. We'll be right back with some social media reaction. 
The Canadians Connection is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com. I bet you enjoy sporting your best Habs jerseys, dressing up your kids and pets in the cutest Habs gear, and showing off your decked out hockey cave or fan ink. Well, don't just show your friends, show your Habs. The team at All Habs wants you to boast your finest pictures for our global network of Montreal Canadiens fans. Include the hashtag ShowYourHabs when posting your fan photos on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Then log on to showyourhabs.com to see your entries, along with photos and posts from Habs fans all over the world. A proud member of the Rocket Sports Media Network. If you're a business owner looking for the perfect platform to reach a targeted audience of customers, Rocket Sports Media is the solution. Our global hockey community provides unmatched social media reach to an attentive demographic of sports and entertainment fans. We can provide visibility to your company, helping you to engage and leverage this prime group of potential clientele. In addition, we also offer sponsorship opportunities for fan events and featured areas of website content, giving you name and logo recognition. Visit rocketsportsmedia.com to contact us regarding this unique marketing opportunity. For the most trusted source of news, analysis, and features about the Montreal Canadiens, their affiliates, and their prospects, log in to allhabs.net, your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net. And welcome back to episode 98 of the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio, the Dale Howarchuk episode of the Canadians Connection podcast. You can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit our website at canadiansconnection.com. And it is ultimately on social media where much of the reaction to this playoff series, you can go on Twitter, and, and people are still probably talking about Elaine Vigneault's comments on Brendan Gallagher and so on and so forth. But Rick, so what was the reaction like on the All Habs fan page and, and all the social media accounts? What was the reaction like to this series? Uh, it was it was um, overwhelming, I guess, is, is the best word. Um, certainly our interactions uh, on the website um, with the, the podcast, with the Canadians Connection podcast, with uh, with the press zone, our our uh, listen listenership is way up, uh, and so we thank you for that. Um, uh, uh, but uh, more, never more striking than on on Facebook, um, and uh, the the interactions there are um, out of this world. It's it's uh, the the page has been on fire. Uh, we have uh, we're up about a thousand in terms of. 
uh, the number of members to wow. uh, forty two thousand, but the the post engagements and and the reach is is hundreds of thousands of Habs fans who are are uh, uh, consuming the content, but also reacting, and uh, certainly uh, tens of thousands, um, you know, express their opinion about the the. Uh, hit on Gallagher, about the suspension, about uh, Alain Vigneault's comments. Um, and, and, but now that there's been a, a, a bit of a, t- a day to, to reflect, uh, you mentioned just before we went to break, uh, Mike Raschel um, put out his, uh, just his thoughts. His, uh, it's an opinion yeah. article and his recipe for the Habs future. And I guess he touched on uh, some of what um, uh, uh, Muller had said, Kirk Muller had said, this recipe, this recipe of, of um, core veterans who are, are leading the team, a nice sprinkle of, of uh, the young breakout performances, uh, and the 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 solid goaltending and and uh, so he put out that article and uh, let me just uh, take a look at uh, some of the the responses to that uh, we have Andy Green who says my days and nights are mixed up a bit but I'm happy the Montreal Canadiens gave a very good solid effort in 2020 uh, the Montreal Canadiens are on the right upside swing and it appears the Habs future it has good potential good showing uh, Chimo. Um, now we have, uh, Jeff Sergeyan saying we still have some work to do, but they're going in the right direction. Don Huntington says the Habs are a good team overall, but they need a superstar. Oh, there was one available, uh, in the draft, wasn't there? Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Don says replace Druan and admit they made, uh, um, the same mistake that made that Ottawa made, uh, and you know what? There are some real good parallels between the player he's talking about, the bust in in uh, in Ottawa, and uh, Jonathan Duran. We talked about that in the past. Alan Valencourt says, uh, "Yep, um, uh, but you know what's the best step moving forward? It's to sack Bergevin. Too many mistakes in the last." Nine years. Sean Ryan says, uh, I see Domi on his way out. Don Malosh says, we need a new GM. Dean Wheeler says, we need a new GM. Uh, Robin Fontaine says, uh, Ryan Paling could have helped in these playoffs. And that's some of the, that's just a taste of, of some of the reaction, the yeah. myriad of reaction. Um, but uh, they still, even after the success, would like a new GM uh, on the, the uh, Facebook page. Yeah, Mark Bergevin cannot escape an end-of-season press conference without some of the reaction being, <laughs> or even the end of season in general, without some of the reaction being, yeah, let's let's get a new GM in there. But yeah, uh, continuing the reaction, and, and we want you to continue to interact with us, as we always want on the Canadians Connection podcast. As we said, you can follow Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, you have the Rocket Sports text line, 5853ROCKET, and uh, yeah. And I'm just going to add that, uh, uh, yes, the Rocket Sports text line is, is yeah. open for you, 5853ROCKET. Send us an email if you want. There are yeah. a few people that do that, info at allhabs.net. And we got one from our, our friend um, uh, Dino. And uh, when all of this was over, and he just wanted to say thanks. Uh, thanks nice. to this team. Um, hi, good friends. Thanks for the coverage of the game. Sorry about the defeat. Um um, but how likely were we to win in the first place? 
We all always value uh, great victories. What we learned is Kirk Muller is for real. Unfortunately, there's the noise of discrimination against him. Our young players give us great hope. We must find a way to keep the Carey Price-Charlie Lindgren tandem together. Oh, it supports what, yeah. what you said. Uh, thank you again to your attention and sacrifice during COVID. You guys are the real pros. Well, that's really, that's, that's unbelievable. Wow. And thank you for yeah. that, Dino. He said, you're always sincere, you're attentive, and you're fair. Just as Danny Gallivan and Dick Irvin Rene Potier and, and Gil, uh, Gilles Tremblay. Holy cow. Claude Quinville and, uh, and Rene Le Cavalier. You, you folks stay well, stay safe, stay healthy. Always Le, Le Petit Bill. And Dino, that, uh, wow. We're no, we're, no, we're nowhere near in, <laughs> in that range. But uh, thank you for uh, the appreciation of our coverage. Our team yeah. has worked super hard uh, during the, the pandemic. And uh, and during this postseason, uh, to bring you all sorts of content, and that's uh, really nice recognition from uh, from Dina right there. That is, yes, yeah, certainly high praise, and we really do appreciate it as always. But uh, but yes, Rick, we have worked very hard throughout this process, and uh, on the latest episode of the Press Zone as well. I will say, I mean, you had a phenomenal guest on the latest episode, Danny Briere, oh, he popping was in and. Oh, fantastic. A, a special guest, and especially considering the perspective that he has on this, on that series that mm-hmm. just wrapped up the Flyers and the and the Canadians. And the, by the way, two straight weeks where you had members of the 2014 Canadians on, the, right. uh, on, on, the, on from the press on the press zone, excuse me. With Mike uh, Weaver before that. Uh-huh. Mike Weaver, Dream Weaver, yeah, and then Danny <laughs> Briere. You got to love it. But, but Rick, uh, as you said, we will continue to be here every week talking about the Montreal Canadiens, because as you said, there is a lot coming down the path for the Montreal Canadiens. You have an NHL entry draft that's going to be happen- happening relatively soon after all these playoff series wrap up. Mark, Mark Bergevin is uh, within his rights to make moves now with general managers, other general managers who aren't involved in the playoffs. And uh, an offseason that looms large, uh, one that you th- you want to think the Montreal Canadiens are going to approach with the idea of improving this team. So, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about things that we've learned from this playoff experience, this playoff run, and uh, and a whole lot more. So uh, it'll be very interesting in the coming weeks. Yeah. Go so ahead. With that this said, this is yeah. uh, this has been a great show. We want to thank uh, want to thank our listeners. Want to thank you for uh, Joe for. Um, uh, helping to put all this together and and uh, the entire team and and uh, and and the entire rocket sports team who uh, really uh, took this uh, this postseason uh, we we established our own uh, little traditions before each game and uh, each one um, you know we knew that we were we were committed uh, Carrie price is committed uh, we're committed yep. <laughs> uh, to the, the the coverage and uh, so thanks to to all of our crew as well Yeah, we are committed and we will stay committed. We'll be right back with you next week discussing all things Montreal Canadiens, the things that we've learned and the things that we will see uh, this coming offseason. So thank you for tuning in to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. Click subscribe so you never miss an episode of Canadians Connection. Visit allhabs.net for breaking news about the Montreal Canadiens.